everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 75 of the John Riley Project. Today is Tuesday, September 3rd, 2019. We are broadcasting as we always do from the city and the country, Poway, California, here in the San Diego suburbs. Hope you're all having a great summertime. Hope you all enjoyed the Labor Day weekend. Um, I just just wrapped up the Padre game. So right now, what time is it? About 10 o'clock at night on Tuesday. And the Padres just came up short 2-1 against the Diamondbacks. Left the bases loaded in the ninth inning. Um, but such is the San Diego sports curse. Um, but I'm okay for it. Um, anyways, we're, we're going to talk about... Um, a couple of interesting topics. We're going to talk about the San Diego housing crisis, talk about kind of what led us to this position where there is such a serious problem with housing in San Diego, and then also, you know, kind of a tangential issue, uh, a dovetail issue on this is this concept of working from anywhere. You know, this notion of mobility uh, in the workplace and the impact that that can have on lots of things in society, including housing. So we're going to talk about that as well. So these should be fun topics to get into. Um, But hey, you know, this is a podcast all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those are the things that we talk about. We talk about ways that you can, you know, take ownership of your life and live your life to the fullest, to flourish. Um, We talk about liberty. And when we're talking about politics, we talk about it through the concept, through the lens of liberty. And then we talk about ways to, hey, make your life the best that it can be and and to pursue your own happiness. So that's kind of the higher purpose of the podcast. Those are the things we talk about. Um, You know, just a few updates on things that are going on. You know, over the Labor Day weekend, I had a really relaxing weekend, stayed home here with the fine wife and... And was productive, got some things done around the house, went to the recycling center and turned in a bunch of aluminum cans. And, you know, I, I like to do that instead of putting them in the blue bin. I'll, I have my own separate bin. And in that way, you know, every so often I can cash them out and I get some lunch money, which is a nice thing. So we did that. And um, yeah, I was busy with my business, you know, sort of taking care of, um, you know, some more of administrative details on my company and just relaxed and enjoyed uh, another great summertime in San Diego. Um, we're, right now, actually, we're planning a trip uh, to go to Butte, Montana. And I've talked about my research that I'm doing on my family tree. And my ancestors, you know, when they came from Ireland and from England, a lot of them moved to uh, Butte, Montana, where they were in the mining industry before they later uh, migrated to San Francisco. And I've never been to Butte, Montana. So this has always been on my list of places to go. And so we're actually planning the trip. We're going to be going up at the end of the month. And it'll be really interesting just to walk in the footsteps of my ancestors, um, you know, kind of visit. They have a mining museum there that I'm really interested in learning about and trying to get a deeper, more emotional sense of what it was like to be a miner up in Montana. And then they have this great public archive where they have a lot of records there. And I'm going to, you know, take a few of my ancestors, do some searching, see if I can find names that are referenced in old newspapers and old public records and things to enhance my ancestry file. That should be a lot of fun. And the other thing that's interesting on the ancestry topic, um, I recently did one of those DNA tests with Ancestry.com. And, you know, you, hear, you see those ads all the time where people, they think they're one ethnicity and they turn out they're another ethnicity. And it's, it's kind of fun. And you learn a lot of things. And, and for me, my 
family history had always, you know, the stories had always been about where, you know, everyone was from Ireland and that I was 100% Irish. And I was like, really? I mean, how could that be possible? And I figured I'll take the DNA test and I'll find out. And, and as I was doing my family research, I discovered that I had some relatives that had lived in England at different times. Well, I did the DNA research. Uh, this test scores came back and it said I was completely Irish, 100%. It was unbelievable. And not only was it in the Ireland, Scotland area, but it was actually in the southern part of Ireland, which again, consistent with a lot of family stories. I was always told that our family came from uh, County Cork in Ireland. And sure enough, right there in West Cork and then also in Munster, which is down in the very southern part of Ireland, is where all signs pointed to. So I guess I got confirmation. I was kind of hoping for a surprise. I was hoping to discover that there was more to um, my DNA, uh, but it just sort of confirmed old family stories. So um, interesting. But as part of this, I'm also discovering that there have been other distant relatives, second, third, and even fourth cousins that have taken the test. And now I'm able to identify them and kind of put them into my family tree. And if I choose to, I can reach out and you know, talk to them. It's kind of interesting. So I'm, I'm enjoying this. It's like putting a puzzle together and getting a better sense of, um, you know, kind of where we all come from. And it's interesting to sort of trace it back a, a, a around American history about the, the great, I, don't know, I guess, what did they call it? When all the immigrants came from all over the world to America in the 19th century to seek opportunity um, to escape oppression those are really valuable ideals. My family came to America most likely for those reasons, and I'm, I'm looking forward to confirming that. I would imagine your family came to America for those very same reasons, to pursue opportunity, a better life for their family, to escape oppression in their home country. And it's a shame, really, that we're looking the other way on that today, where there are people at a, at a border, behind fences, walls going up. It's like America is completely abandoning its ideals, uh, which is a shame. And I, I'm hoping that's going to eventually be corrected because, you know, we all have inalienable rights and it's not just Americans, it's everybody. And you have liberty, you have a right to your own life and a right to determine your own um, to determine your own trajectory in life. And it's a shame that our, our government's looking the other way and really thwarting liberty for a lot of people around the world. It's, it's shameful. I, I, I digress. Um, what else is going on? I mean, I, here, this is a, a big news. It actually, I got news about this this afternoon here in San Diego County. Um, rest in peace. George Chamberlain passed away. Um, George Chamberlain, a media icon here in San Diego, was a reporter on the local economy, spoke about the business market, um, about the business sector, spoke out about employment rates, uh, about the housing marketplace. Um, he was one of the go-to guys on both television and radio. And he was just a, a wonderful man. And he passed away, I guess, on September 1st. I saw the announcement online today. Um, you know, I met George Chamberlain once. It was probably about 10 or 12 years ago. I might have been at a Poway Chamber event, maybe a San Diego North Chamber of Commerce event. Can't recall exactly, but I remember it was one of those two. And we were waiting in line for lunch because it was a buffet lunch. 
And he just happened to be a friend of me in line. And I introduced myself to him and he was just so gracious, so approachable. Um, And we had a conversation for about maybe a minute. Um, We were talking about the market. And again, this is 10, 12 years ago. So this is when you know, our whole marketplace was going crazy with the Great Recession. It was unfolding. And he we were talking about some of his forecasts and and Alan Jin, who's another local economist at the University of San Diego, were talking about his forecasts and and we were commenting that we thought uh Mr. Jin was probably a little more pessimistic. Um but uh I thought uh, George Chamberlain was just a wonderful man. So rest in peace to George Chamberlain, a local media icon. Um, what else over the weekend? The Aztecs won uh, six to nothing over Weber State. We had David Leland here in the podcast studio about a week or so ago. We went through the whole schedule. David predicted that game was going to end at, with a score of Aztecs 24, Weber State 20. It ended up being six to nothing. And I, I zinged uh, uh, David a, a, a message, a DM and Twitter, and he was laughing about it with me because it was such a low scoring game. But he did say, hey, the spread was just a little bit more than what he predicted, but not that far off because, you know, David predicted a four point win. It ended up being a six point win. And hey, all the points in that game were scored by Rancho Bernardo High School place kicker, Matt Ariza, who's a redshirt freshman. And he's taken over for John Barron over there at San Diego State. And he looked terrific out there. So big shout out to uh, Matt Ariza from Rancho Bernardo High School, now the starting uh, field goal kicker and, and place kicker for the San Diego State Aztecs. So Great job there. Um, then on Sunday, I'm driving through town, and you know, I, it was about maybe quarter to twelve, maybe ten minutes to twelve noon on Sunday, and I was at the intersection of Twin Peaks Road and Pomerado Road here in Poway, and. We usually see around that time on Sundays protesters out there, and it was it always used to be consistently more progressive uh, protesters, people that were protesting against President Trump. And if you roll the clock back even further, I think there were protests even against President Bush, particularly around the Iraq War. Um, but now these are protests against President Trump, and you know, pretty large group. I've seen as little as 10, maybe as many as 25 people out there with signs and, and, you know, people driving by honking their horns in support or not. And then what has happened is now we're starting to get pro-Trump supporters on the opposite street corner. And they're out there, these MAGA guys with red MAGA hats, and they're waving the American flag. And, and it's, it's something, you know, so it was like 10 minutes to 12, and I, I thought to myself, I think they're only usually there from about 10 to 12 in the morning on Sundays. I got to confirm that because what I should do is go down there and actually have a conversation with them. I think that'd be really fun and just listen to them and hear what they have to say and what are the hot buttons that they're really protesting about. Uh, So I'm going to try to do that, get down there with my camera and maybe post a short video to share, um, you know, on my YouTube channel or maybe post in Facebook. But I love that. I love seeing that. I talked about in the last podcast where I like political expression. I I think that's one of the things that makes America great. And we talked about it in the last podcast in relation to um, the political sign ordinance in our city of Poway and and the guy that had the the Trump 2020 flag, no more bullshit, (laughs) which is something. Um, But I'm all for that, man. Let your flag fly, man. You know, express yourself. And that's what is beautiful about this country is that you can speak freely and do so without being threatened to be thrown in the gulag. So 
we had uh, progressives. We had um, I don't know if I would call conservatives. I mean, because Trump really isn't a conservative. He's something different. Populists, maybe, is the right word. Um, Right-wing populists. Uh, So we have both sides. Um, And I guess depending on which direction of Twin Peaks you were driving, you could have gotten the orientation right. So the left, the progressives would be on your left and the and the um, the Trump supporters on your right. I think if you're heading southbound on Pomerado, that would have worked. So I love seeing them out there. And then. You know, speaking of local politics and and everything, um, uh, over the weekend I saw Mayor Steve Voss, the mayor of Poway, and he was on the KUSI Morning News on Sunday. And the KUSI is you know one of our independent stations, not one of the big affiliates, uh, but one of our local uh, independent stations. So has a great news program, especially on weekend mornings. And Mayor Voss was out there talking about the Poway Parade that's coming. And it's always really interesting to see Mayor Voss when he's in the media spotlight. He's very good at it. Um, you know, he, first of all, this is a man that really understands personal branding. He's the only mayor that I've ever seen, at least here in Southern California, that wears a cowboy hat. So he's instantly recognizable. And he's out there sharing his message. And he was talking about Poway. He was talking about the old time uh, railroad and the reenactment of the train robberies. He was talking about Poway being a lot like a Norman Rockwell painting, which Okay, I get that. That was a bit of a stretch, but not that far off. Um, and, you know, he was selling it. And I'll tell you what, he was he, he was in command of that performance. I thought he did a really good job. He had the two hosts, the two anchors, essentially eating out of his hand. Um, but he did a great job, and he was talking about the parade. And, and again, he knows how to play this up. He, he goes for the self-deprecating humor because he's, you know, on the, in the parade, he actually is the pooper scoopers, where he, he and, and his entourage, usually city council members, previously his family joined him, where they would bring wheelbarrow and shovels, and they would scoop up the horse poop from the horses that led the parade. Um, and I'll give him credit for it. That's a well-played move uh, from a media perspective. And, and he talked about it, and he actually had T-shirts for the hosts. And I mean, he, it's interesting. He's, he's running for, uh, not city council, he's running for county supervisor in November of 2020. And he's already started his campaign. He's very active. So let's just see what happens. I know he's got some competitors and they're all rallying. Um, you know, here in Poway, a lot of people like Mayor Voss, but he also has a group of people that really don't support him. Uh, so what's going to happen here? I'm very curious. So uh, saw that over the weekend. And then last thing that I'm just kind of getting a little bit of news about is Dave Rubin, who is the host of the Rubin Report. This is a podcast that really is more of a video podcast. You see it on YouTube primarily, but he also broadcasts on all the audio only platforms, just like I do, you know, Stitcher, Spotify, um, iTunes. Dave Rubin, I think, runs a great podcast interview format. And in many ways, when I started this podcast, the John Riley Project, I am emulating many things that Dave Rubin is doing, his interviewing style, um, even some of the philosophical points. I think he and I are similar in some ways. Um, but I really like what he's built. Well, anyways, the thing that's interesting with him 
is that for the entire month of August, every year, he completely unplugs himself from media. He doesn't use a telephone. He doesn't get on the internet. He isn't on computers. He doesn't check the cable news. He literally unplugs himself and takes a long vacation, which is interesting on so many levels. I mean, number one, I mean, how awesome that he has an opportunity to do that. I mean, many of us can't take a vacation for a whole month um, and or, or even be away from our communication devices because we have you know, family and other obligations. We have to stay connected. But it's interesting that he has the willpower to be able to deny himself that for such an extended period of time, um, because when he comes back from it, um, he he has to be brought up to speed on all the different things that happened for the month that he was unplugged. And usually when he'll have his welcome back podcast and he'll usually have someone else host it and then interview him and bring him up to speed on everything that's happened. So I'm not sure when that episode is happening. I don't know if it's already been recorded or if it will shortly be recorded, but that'll be a fun one to watch. So that'll be the Rubin report, Dave Rubin. Um, But I think the other cool thing about it is, is that, you know, right now in society, a lot of us are, are just so deeply connected to the digital space, to our devices, that being disconnected from them for even for a few hours almost feels like you're naked to a degree. Um, it's empowering, I think, to be to disconnect yourself for that period of time, to not only prove to yourself that you aren't dependent upon it, but also to be able to have opportunities to let your mind rest and let your mind think. And then maybe even more importantly, build positive emotional relationships with other people in face-to-face conversations. Um, So he really pushes that agenda. I think it's neat. So he should be back. Uh, So check his YouTube channel for the Rubin report and it'll be his, you know, comeback special His comeback from unplugged. I don't know what he's going to call it, but that's essentially what it's about. So um, I saw a hint of that. I think in one of his Twitter posts that he was uh, commenting that he finally got replugged in and that happened over the weekend. So, you know, today is Tuesday, the third. So Sunday was the first. So I must've seen that post either on the first or on the second. Okay. Uh, so anyways, that's just kind of a little quick hits and different things that are going on in my world. Um, things that are interesting here locally, But now I kind of want to get into some of these bigger topics. And the one that I really want to get into is this notion of the San Diego housing crisis. And we've talked about this to a degree in many other other podcast episodes because it's connected to so many things. It's connected to um, all these elements of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, where we live largely is a, um, a reflection of you know, our values and and places that we maybe if we have a family and we want to raise children, usually we try to live in a place that's consistent with those values. Some people's identity is greatly tied to the city they live in. I mean, heck, my Twitter and Instagram handles are John Riley Poway. (laughs) I live in Poway. So yeah, so where I live is a big part of who I am. Um, 
but housing, the whole housing issue is interesting because there is this major housing crisis where there is just simply not enough housing and that's causing prices to go way up, not just for buying homes, but also for rentals. Rental prices are going up astronomically and it's getting to the point where it's very expensive, almost, I mean, it is unaffordable for many people. Um, but, uh, we talk a little bit about cultural issues with housing, but there's also political issues. And, and we've gotten into that with developments that are happening in um, in Santee and here in Poway with Granny Flats. We've talked about the major development that's going to be happening on Poway Road. And then we've even touched on this other major project here in Poway at um, the farms at Stone Ridge, where the golf course is, they're talking about transforming that into single family homes. So We've gotten into this a lot, and I just think this is a fascinating topic. And so what was interesting is in the Voice of San Diego, which, by the way, Voice of San Diego is a wonderful online news website. They're, I would think, in many ways, very competitive with the San Diego Union-Tribune, but they're only available online. They do really good work in investigative journalism, particularly in the education space. Um, So if you ever want to get some really in-depth articles on your local school district, that's usually a place to go. Um, But they had a great article, and it was called... How did San Diego housing become so dire? And it was just a really neat article because they said, well, the crisis that exists, and I think most people are really recognizing there is a crisis, but this isn't something that's just happened over the last few years or even in in this century. This is something that has been building for a long, long time. And it's just been getting incrementally worse. And we kind of got to the point where the straw has broken the camel's back. And now it's now a major issue. And I mean, here, I'll just quote from the article. Housing has emerged as the dominant political fight in both San Diego and California. There's no shortage of ways to describe the effects of the housing shortage. More than any time in history, Californians say housing affordability is a big problem, and the 71% of San Diegans who say so is higher than the rest of the state. So they're saying that this crisis is perhaps more acute here in San Diego than California at large. So a major issue here in San Diego. And then they went on to say, and this is incredible, just 27% of households can afford the county's median home of $655,000. Okay, first of all, holy crap, $655,000 is the median price. That means half the homes that are being sold are more than 655000 and half the homes being sold are less than 655000 That's just incredible. That's a lot of money. Um, heck, I mean... We can, I mean, I'm sure we can pick any moment in history going back multiple decades. That median price was a hell of a lot lower not that long ago. And even after coming out of the Great Recession, when home prices took a major punch in the nose, they've recovered and then some. Um, so 655000 but only 27% of households can afford them. So you think, well, how in the hell are people living in the houses that they're living in now? Well, they obviously bought those houses a long time ago and they're not moving. They're holding on to them. They're staying where they are. And that's another 
problem that exists in the market. And you talk to any realtor, they always complain there's no inventory because they're finding it hard to find homes that they can represent and sell in the marketplace, that they can list because people are holding on to the places they live, largely because it's so darn expensive to move and to afford to move into a new place. Um, but if imagine if you're a first-time home buyer and the median price is 655000 I mean, what are you going to get as a starter home? It's not going to be much, if anything at all, even if you can afford that starter home. What if you are a business that is trying to recruit people to move to San Diego to work for your company? Are they going to be able to have enough income to afford to live here? So it's a major deal. Um, but then it went on to say, and this is another incredible stat from the article, Low-income San Diegans spend nearly their entire paycheck on rent. Nearly their entire paycheck just goes to rent for low-income people. Wow. Um, That's a ton. You know, so you figure people are out there trying to find places to live and you know, apartments, 1500 bucks, pretty standard. I'm sure many places, apartments are a lot more than that. There aren't that many that are less than 1500 depending on where you choose to live. But rental prices, as you get more into the city centers, could be $2,000, I'm $3,000. I've been a homeowner since 1990, I guess it would be 96. Um, so, oh, wait a minute, probably, yeah, but since, no, since 94, but I've been largely out of touch with the rental market. I just hear stories from people that I know, people that I work with, talking about how hard it is to find a decent place, how hard it is to find a place that's affordable. So a major crisis. So well, the article went on to say, and this is where we kind of go, we step through the history. It said that governments in San Diego issued permits for roughly 25,000 new homes per year through the 1970s and 1980s. San Diego was in a booming period of growth at the time, and developers filled suburban areas like Mira Mesa, Scripps Ranch, Rancho Penasquitos, Carmel Valley, all with brand new homes. And that's true. So 25,000 homes a year were being built back in the 1970s and 1980s. Well, in 2016, there were only 7,563 permits for new homes. And you need 12,000 just to keep up with population growth. So not only are we experiencing roughly, you know, only 25% of the amount of homes that were being built year in and year out back in the 70s and 80s, but on top of that, we're not even keeping up with the pace of population growth. So imagine if population is growing at a faster pace than housing, that creates more squeeze, more demand for housing, not enough supply. And so then we see more people scrambling, more people doubling up in places or tripling up. Um, We see uh, more competitive prices for homes. That's why a lot of homeowners can list their home and get into bidding wars with potential buyers. It's also we're seeing landlords that if they have a vacancy and they can put whatever price they want on that and it'll probably get scooped up pretty quick. And as long as that inventory is so limited, people become desperate and they'll take it. So uh, it, it's, it's unbelievable. But it had me thinking and I was thinking about Mira Mesa and, and Scripps Ranch, Rancho Penasquitos. I remember back in the day, I was a student at UC San Diego in the 1980s. And 
you know, when, uh, the first couple of years I lived on campus, but then after that, we we wanted to live off campus. And if you're going to UC San Diego and La Jolla, unless you're from an incredibly rich family, there's no way you're going to be living in La Jolla um, or anywhere near campus. Most likely, you're going to be living in Claremont or University City or Genesee Highlands. And then we had some friends that lived in Mira Mesa. And, you know, you're in college and people would have parties or other you know social occasions at their houses. And so we trek out there. And I remember driving to Mira Mesa and I was on Mira Mesa Boulevard and it was just one lane in each direction and there was nothing out there. And I just thought I was freaking driving to Arizona, it seemed like. And then you eventually roll out to Mira Mesa and then suddenly it's all this brand new community and all these new streets, new homes, cul-de-sacs, you know, it was a nice place. And the home's you know, they weren't mansions, but they weren't small homes either. They were very standard middle-class family homes. And it was nice, not only for young adults, uh, families, you know, just starting to, you know, set up shop here in San Diego. Maybe they want to start developing roots in San Diego, but it was also great for my friends. They were college students. So they had five guys living there. I think it was like a three bedroom, two bath place. And it was great. Um, and so, yeah, we had like Super Bowl parties there and some Friday, Saturday night stuff going on over there. And it was wonderful. But I just remember that driving all the way out to Mira Mesa and literally going through nothing and then eventually the community popped up. Now, of course, that whole area from the 805 freeway all the way to the 15 along Mira Mesa Boulevard is just filled with houses and commercial development. Um, we've come a long way. And now that road, what is it? Maybe it's two, possibly even three lanes in each direction. So things have changed dramatically. But the other thing that I remember just back in that day when there was so much construction going on in the 80s. I was um, I was a student, but I had a job um, as a computer programmer. I was a Fortran 77 programmer for a defense contractor in the Sorrento Valley. And by the way, it was a great job for a college student. I think at the time, I think the minimum wage might have been about $3.75, maybe probably, I think it was less than $4. Um, and my job was paying me $8 an hour. And I remember my friends were blown away. They couldn't believe I was getting paid that much, but it was a good job. I and mean, I was legitimately doing programming. Um, and I, I had a great time there. And one day we had a, like an interdepartmental picnic softball game kind of thing. And it was out at the Canyon side, uh, ball fields, you know, out in near Penasquitos Canyon off of Black Mountain Road. And I remember that time I got in my car and I was driving to Mira Mesa and I was going down Mira Mesa Boulevard, same thing, nothing, nothing, nothing. Then suddenly Mira Mesa popped up around Camino Ruiz, but I had to keep going eastbound until I got to Black Mountain Road. And then I hung a left and went north on Black Mountain. And back then Black Mountain Road was just this two lane road, but it was this squirrely road where it was windy and up and down these little divots. And, and there was all these piles of dirt and construction equipment all around the place. And then all of a sudden, poof, I pop up and there's all these softball fields. And now again, that whole area is jam packed with stuff. So it's, I guess what I'm getting to is it's amazing how much San Diego has expanded in just the time that I've lived here. I moved here in 82 as a freshman in college and 
with the exception of two years when I lived in Los Angeles, I've lived here my whole, my whole life since 1982. And it's incredible to see the amount of development. But really, development has greatly slowed down. And, you know, it's slowing down for all the reasons we've talked about, you know, the regulatory environment and nimbyism, and then there was economic issues with the Great Recession. But it's gotten to be so expensive, so difficult to build that it's created this housing crisis. And there was a couple of other interesting angles here. The In the article, they talked about this, where during the 1980s and 1990s, we still had land available for these mass housing tracks that we were putting in. You know, that, again, was Mira Mesa, Scripps Ranch, um, Rancho Penasquitos. That type of construction is much cheaper to do, to do than what they call infill housing. So, you know, they were saying, if, if, imagine if you're putting in a thousand homes and you just put in the sewers and the roads and you connect everything and it's simple. <laughs> That's the quote from the article. I mean, obviously, it's relatively simple, but they were comparing it to what it's like now where if you have a house on a parcel and that house has been there for 100 years and you want to remove the house and put in let's just say a four unit or an eight unit condominium complex, well, then suddenly you've got to try to reconnect with the plumbing infrastructure and you got to make sure there's enough parking on the street. And it becomes a lot harder to retrofit more housing into established communities. Um, But it was a lot easier to build them for just for pure geographical um, logistical reasons, because there was just a lot more open space. Um, but still, you know, there's there's tracks of open space that exist now, but a lot of that open space is restricted for development. Many people think for good reason. Uh, many people want it restricted for open space. Um, many people want it restricted for this notion of being NIMBYs, you know, not in my backyard. They want the development somewhere else. In some cases, um, you know, I remember back in the day where you listen to the news and candidates that were running for city council, they would ask them, are you pro-developer? As though that were a bad thing. And I'm thinking about it now. These these companies, these development companies, you even hear that now. You know, here in Poway, they're talking about building a lot more homes and people think, well, you know, are you pro-developer? And I'm thinking, I'm not pro-developer. I'm just pro-housing. I want to be able to see more people have roofs over their head so that they can live comfortably and raise a family and be hopefully somewhere near their place of business where they go to work. Um, But it's interesting how it becomes so politicized, especially in terms of who supports or doesn't support certain candidates. Um, But there was another really interesting article or interesting line in the article And it said, housing that likely was considered luxury when first built declined to the middle of the housing market within 25 years. And that makes a lot of sense because a lot of those homes that were being built in Mira Mesa and Scripps Ranch in Carmel Valley, um, and this is early on in Carmel Valley, you know, kind of around Del Mar Heights area, not, you know, Del Sur and all that, um, those homes, when they were all built, were, were brand new, brand spanking new, and they were really nice. I mean, they weren't colossal mansions, but they were very attractive places to live. And some people might have considered that luxury homes compared to, let's just say, some of the older homes that have been in San Diego for 100 years. These were an upgrade. They, they were bigger bedrooms, um, multi-story, um, arch ceilings, you know, all of those things. 
But now a lot of those homes are considered to be middle-class homes. And it's interesting how things shift, how, how we essentially evolve. And I read that and I was thinking to myself, that's actually a pretty cool thing because in many ways, that's just sort of a sign of, of you know, human progress that our housing, as we get, as our economy becomes stronger, as more wealth is built, as housing construction becomes better, as technology improves, the new homes today are just so much superior to the homes that have been built in previous generations. And it's a reflection of how far we've come. And I, I think that's a neat thing. But what's interesting is is that there there was all that development in the 80s and well, the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s, but then it really slowed down. And we saw a lot less construction in the in the 90s and especially even in even in the 2000s uh, when there was that housing boom that housing boom was a lot of it was remodels people were taking money out of their house and then look you know um what do they say liquefying is that the right word their equity they were you know essentially uh, making it a liquid asset and then taking that money using their house as an ATM machine and in some cases doing major remodels but in other case, people, as we all know the stories, they were taking the money out and spending it frivolously. Uh, but even during that time frame, not a there was construction of new homes, but not anything to the degree of what we saw in the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s. But then when the Great Recession hit, it really slowed down. But even coming out of it, it's still slow um, compared to what we had seen before. And, you know, a lot of space is being filled in, but there's still so much more that can be done. And I'll give Mayor Kevin Faulkner a great deal of credit. He's the mayor of the city of San Diego. And in his state of the city address, he talked about ideas to make, you know, to break down regulations, to make it easier to build more high density housing, to make it easier to build you know, apartment buildings that can go taller, that can be higher, because in some communities there are limits on the height of the buildings. And so he was looking for these innovative ways to to really provide incentives so that construction can occur. So the end result housing is a lot more affordable. And even if a lot of this new housing that, you know, I'm hoping is going to be built, and we already know it's going to be built here in Poway, along Poway Road, and in other parts of the you know, our community, some of that brand new housing isn't going to be dirt cheap. It's going to be, you know, it'll be brand new. So there'll be a premium, but you're going to see people moving up and then that'll create a cascading effect. And then uh, people at the bottom will be able to move up a notch and people at the second step will move up to the third and that'll free up space on the step one. So by creating these brand new houses, it just opens up so many more housing opportunities. And in doing so, will put a dampening effect on prices. In many cases, it'll slow down the rate of growth of pricing, but in many cases, it may even push prices lower. And I think for renters, for first-time home buyers, that would be a huge win. Now, obviously, if you're a property owner, maybe you don't like that agenda, but you know, society evolves and population is growing and, and we've got to find ways to house people. It's a pretty basic thing. And I would much prefer to see this idea of essentially embracing property rights, letting people build on the property they own and um, looking for ways to 
meet demand to help lower prices without necessarily subsidizing by robbing Peter to pay Paul and having to take from some people so other people can have their home their housing, you know, again, subsidized through through government. I would prefer we can do that just simply by expanding the supply. And I think it's possible. I think if we can not get stuck in a time warp, if we can embrace change, embrace progress, and we can build responsibly, we can build with traffic in mind, we can build with infrastructure in mind. If we do that and do it intelligently, I think there's a path forward. And so um, I would definitely encourage our civic leaders to look for innovative ways to increase the supply of housing. And we've talked about granny flats. We've talked about that in Santee. We've talked about it in Poway. Uh, Mayor Faulkner was talking about that as well. But that's just that's just a tiny dent. Granny flats are an interesting thing to talk about, but that's not going to make that big of a difference. Although it will make some difference and that should be encouraged, but there's so much more that needs to be done. Um, but yeah, what a history. Uh, San Diego grown so much in the 70s, the 80s and 90s, and then the growth really slowed down. And that's what led us to this issue. So how did the San Diego housing become so dire? So that was the article in the voice of San Diego, and I'll include a link to that article in the show notes so you can check it out yourself. Um, All right. Uh, Before I get to the next topic, just talk a little bit about social media. I always say that I'd love, to, and I'd love to have a conversation with you. If you're on social media and you want to share your thoughts and opinions, maybe you like what I'm talking about, maybe you disagree with what I'm talking about, reach out to me. I'm, I'm on Facebook. I have a page just for the podcast called John Riley Project. There you can reach out. I even have this special insiders group uh, Facebook page. It's a closed Facebook page, but you are invited and you can join us there at the John Riley Project insiders group. You have to request submission. You can answer a couple of questions. I approve everybody. So uh, join us there as well. And if you want to continue the conversation, like I said, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is John Riley Poway. Um, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I like talking sports on Twitter uh, and politics as well. Uh, So that's a lot of fun. So in fact, I'm probably on Twitter the most, Facebook the second most, and Instagram, I'm kind of becoming better at it. Um, So reach out to me if you want to continue the conversation. But I also want to share with you some of the things I'm doing in this podcast is I'm trying to grow the audience. And for many of you that have been listening, that have been watching, thank you for your support. I'm very appreciative of it. And if you've been sharing this with others, thank you for that. Thank you for recommending us. Thank thank you for sharing podcast episodes. I've seen many of you do that in Facebook. I really, really appreciate that. Um, you know, Sometimes you agree with me. Sometimes you don't. That's okay. You know, uh, we can have a conversation. We can listen. Um, we can actively listen, which I talk about. And then we can um, learn from each other. And if we happen to disagree, we'll learn more. We'll have greater empathy for the other person's side. And I hope we can do that. But one of the things that I'm doing to grow the audience beyond just this organic growth of, you know, through references and and people sharing the podcast episodes as I've been doing paid ads in Facebook. And I'm telling you, it's fabulous. The things that you can do on Facebook, 
from a marketing perspective that you can be very, very targeted to reach people just in certain zip codes, reach people based on specific interest groups. And so what I did is I created five different videos and I ran those in the spring and in the summer. I think I ran one of them for a couple of weeks in May, and then I did it again for three weeks in August. And that just finished up on August 31st. And I've greatly grown my followers and likes. So, you know, I started this podcast almost a year ago. In fact, probably 51 weeks ago. I'm going to have to go back and look at my first episode. It might have been on... September 7th, maybe? I mean, you can go back and check, but I, I should do something special for the one-year anniversary of the podcast. But in the beginning, in the in the fourth quarter of the year, you know, we, were, we had all those wonderful local political candidates, and we were able to grow it organically. But then as we got into the spring, you know, when you're on Facebook and you're trying to grow it, you know how sometimes your messages sort of just stay within that little bubble of friends. And sometimes you're always getting the same messages from the same people and you can't really break out of your bubble. Well, my podcast was doing that too. So that's why I decided to do these paid ads. And I created these five videos and I did them on five themes that I enjoy talking about on the podcast. One of them was about what happens in my community. Because I talk a lot about things that go on in Poway, Rancho Bernardo, Forest Ranch, Carmel Mountain Ranch, Rancho Penasquitos, and Sabre Springs. So I did a video and just targeted it to those people in those zip codes, talking about issues in those locations. And we got a whole lot of people that came on board and, and followed us and now like us. And great, we're building our audience. But I also did one on electric vehicles because I love talking about EVs. You know, we have two EVs and we power them by solar and I love the technology. Um, I think it's really exciting. And so I did one just targeting people in San Diego County that really like electric cars and got a lot of people joining us from that. And then we did another one about entrepreneurship and capitalism, small business owners, which I'm one of those. And so, you know, again, I talk a lot about economics in, in this podcast and encouraging people to, you know, go into business for themselves and pursuing that. So we, we um, had that as a video. We did a fourth video on liberty. And remember, I talk about this podcast is about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. When we're talking politics, I tend to look at things through the lens of liberty, about individual rights, um, about individual freedom, about low regulation, low taxes, you know, maximizing our individuality, our ability to live in a in the least coercive way possible and and expressing ourselves freely. That's why I'm a big believer of free speech, free expression, which we've already talked about. So I had one podcast, uh, not podcast, but one video just about liberty and sent that out to people that were interested in those kinds of issues in San Diego County. And then I did a final one on self-improvement. And I've done some podcast episodes on that about journaling and believing in yourself. And this is an area that I really want to explore more. I really want to do more of it because I think self-improvement is something that can provide great value to you to improve your life uh, so that you can live a flourishing life, which again, consistent with my higher purpose of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So we did a self-improvement version of the video and targeted people in San Diego County that are really interested in that topic in self-help, self-improvement. And so we over the course of the spring and the summer in these various campaigns, again, that I had running in different weeks, 
we grew our audience from well under 100 um, likes to now we have, last I checked, was 724 likes and 769 followers, which is amazing. So I'm trying to get it now up to 1,000. And then I think once I get to 1,000, that's a pretty serious critical mass. And then I'm hoping that's going to influence the Facebook algorithm to allow our sharing and allow our podcast to be seen our podcast episodes and all the posts that I do to have those seen more frequently. So I'm hopeful for that. And of course, the more we build that critical mass of the audience and thank you for joining us here in our audience, you know, hopefully we'll see a lot more sharing, a lot more organic growth and maybe um, see the, the audience grow further. So, I've been experimenting with that. I'm sharing it with you because I think you're all part of this journey with me, but I think it's really exciting. And so I think as a small business person, it's actually really inexpensive to to uh, advertise on Facebook. I was surprised how cheap it was. It's much less expensive than doing, um, you know, pay, pay-per-click advertising on Google AdWords. It's definitely a lot less expensive than traditional marketing like television, radio, direct mail. Um, you can still be very, very targeted and do it within Facebook, which is the biggest social media platform in the world, and be massively targeted at a zip code level, which was awesome. So um, loving that. So I I probably should do a podcast just about that, because I think it was really interesting and perhaps could be very helpful for you. So the next thing that I'm trying to do in, in the world of social media is to begin to grow my subscriber base in YouTube. So you can help out now. If you're already watching this on YouTube, just click on the red button below the video and you can subscribe. So I'm trying to build that subscription base up and again, just trying to grow the audience. And that's one of my main objectives in this podcast is to not only share my opinion, express myself, but be able to share this with other people that may enjoy the conversation, people that may like it, maybe people that don't like it, but like hearing it and want to engage in the conversation. And I love that. And I welcome that. So, um, yeah, that's the next, that's the next frontier. We're going to start taking those same videos and putting them out on YouTube. So that's on my to-do list. Okay. Um, Let's get to the next topic, and it's this notion of work from anywhere. And I saw this title, and I I was really intrigued. And it was um, in the San Diego Union Tribune, and I will also share the links to this in the show notes. And you know, I'm I'm always interested in telecommuting, and you know, I'm an entrepreneur, and I primarily work out of my home, but I, I'm mobile, and I work at my client's site sometimes, and sometimes I'm doing work from my home office, and this concept really is interesting to me for, you know, a lot of different reasons. So let me just read a few excerpts from the article. It said, the bottom line seems to be that work from anywhere model, similar to those offered by Akamai, NASA, GitHub, which are big organizations that embrace it. They get a 4.4% more productivity than the work from home model. And you're thinking, well, work from home, work from anywhere. Like what's the difference? Well, Apparently, the way they're defining it is, is that work from home means that you work from home, but your house where you live is still reasonably close to your office. So if you had to go in for a meeting or maybe you were allowed to work from home a couple of days a week, it was still achievable. You could still go in the office. Work from anywhere literally means that you could work from anywhere, you know, and that's because of the technology that exists. And, and so they talked about here, the anywhere model, and this is another excerpt from the article. 
Surprisingly, it turns out that many American companies have been slow to adopt the Anywhere model. It was hard enough for them to let people work from home one day a week, even though many benefits have been documented. He goes on to say that to expand on the possibility that using this model, employees can move to lower cost cities, could live on ranches or even in the boonies or frankly, even in a trailer. All you need is an Internet connection. Their cost of living would be less. Their company impact would be more. And I was thinking about this. I was really intrigued by this idea. There's a guy that I follow on Twitter, and I'll include him in the show notes too. His name is Kent Stuver, and he is an internet marketing guy, um, a social media marketing guy. He works from anywhere. Now, he's an independent guy, a freelancer, consultant, but he posts photos and videos. He travels. And I think he has like, it's either a motorhome or he's got a pickup truck with a fifth wheel and a trailer. It's one or the other. And he and his wife, they just travel and he always works remotely and he's getting work done. And sometimes you'll see him at a campsite along a river. Other times he'll be at the beach and he's moving around um, and he's literally traveling across the United States while he's working. Now, that's kind of an extreme case, but it was mind blowing uh, because so often we think of this paradigm where we have our house and we have our office and then remember, Starbucks became the third place. That's what made it interesting. You had your home, your office, and then Starbucks um, for meetings. Well, this blows that whole concept up where home and work and travel, it's all kind of merged together. But I started thinking about this and I was thinking, wow, I mean, this, this is a huge benefit for society if we did this, if this work from anywhere model was embraced. I mean, think about how much of a reduction on traffic there would be on our local thoroughfares and on our freeways. It would be a massive reduction. You know, here in San Diego County, SANDAG, the San Diego Association of Governments, they're talking about expanding the freeways and widening the freeways. And then just recently, they decided to change course and they're instead of expanding the freeways, they're going to do more with mass transit, more with with busing, more with light rail, which has created a whole controversy where people feel they're getting screwed over. They feel like they're getting a bait and switch because we've been paying an extra sales tax. It's either a half a cent, uh, half a percent, or maybe a full percent for this. And then with promises of expanded freeways, and then that seems to have been taken off the table. And so anyway, people are in a kerfuffle about this whole thing. But think about it, though, and no matter what Sandag does, whether they're expanding the freeways, whether they're building out more infrastructure for light rail, whether they're building out more mass transit for buses, but it's not just the physical bus. They're talking about building special freeway lanes for that, which they already have on the 15 freeway here in San Diego County. That's expensive. I mean, that's extremely expensive. It's extremely disruptive. And the solution takes a long time until it's fully implemented. And usually by the time they widen the freeway, by the time they add that mass transit, well, the economy has evolved even further and there's now even more demand for it. And then they're still behind the eight ball. And we saw that on the 78 freeway in San Diego, as they kept expanding it, they always seemed to be five or 10 years behind schedule um, and they never got out in front of it. Um, so imagine if people worked anywhere 
which included from home, but really could be, they don't necessarily would be, they could be working for a San Diego company, but actually living in the desert, working for a San Diego company and living in Las Vegas, living in Arizona, living in Florida, you know, wherever you choose to live. Um, think about the reduction of commute time. And Sandag even said just reducing 10% off the road would make a dramatic difference in the reduction of traffic. And that's what their justification is for more of this mass transit. But if we embrace this work from anywhere model, we can do 10, 20%. You know, that we can make huge advances forward. I think this is powerful. And then also think about the reduction in carbon emissions. You know, I talk about electric vehicles all the time. The whole, you know, the state has all these mandates. Cities have imposed their own mandates to reduce carbon emissions. Well, imagine if people just didn't have to commute as much, where their commute was literally the walk down the hallway from their bedroom to their office in their existing house. Um, We could take a lot of cars off the road by embracing this and also helping out our climate. But it's also a huge win for employees if we did this. I mean, not only would they be able to avoid the commute, but they'd have a lot more flexibility in their work-life balance. You know, how many times have we seen people scrambling to get from home to the office or from the office back home and they've got kids and there's traffic and there's crisis and stress. And then suddenly there's an accident on the road and it takes an hour and a half to get home and their whole life goes into chaos. Well, a lot of that could be eliminated if people were able to work anywhere. Because then their work life and their personal life could be much more in alignment. But then even think about it from an employer perspective. Think about it if you are a company. Office space is really expensive, really expensive, not just for the square footage, but then you got to have furniture and equipment and you've got to have all the utilities for the air conditioning and the lighting and um, you've got to have insurance and, and all this stuff. Imagine if companies could lease a lot less office space. Imagine what that could do. And if you want to even take that a step further, imagine if we needed less office space that would provide more space for actual residential housing. Imagine that. So uh, to me, this is just incredible. I think it's a great idea. Um, And I've been essentially living this life. I I, um, you know, my career, I started in the late 80s and worked for a major computer company in the computer industry into the early 90s and then transitioned into the, the marketing world, also working for a large corporation. But I went into business on a moonlighting basis in 01 and then literally started my company up in my garage in, in 2004. I mean, exactly literally in my garage and pursued that full time and grew it. And moved out, got office, got facilities, got equipment, got people, and kept building it. Went into the Great Recession, and you know, the shit hit the fan, and everything had to change. And I changed and morphed and gradually reduced it, um, and went to less people and smaller offices. And now I'm at a point where I'm more or less a solopreneur. So. I'm out doing freelance consulting work. I'm also doing project work for clients and quarterbacking amongst outsourced vendors on a variety of different projects. But I'm in a point where I can more, I I essentially can work from anywhere. So I, while I do go into the offices for some of my uh, clients, they give me the flexibility to work from anywhere, which I'm blessed to have that opportunity. But it gives me the ability to have that work-life balance, which is so powerful. And so I had the fortune of, as my children were growing up, I was always around. And so I could go to their ball game or 
go to practice. In some cases, I was a coach, but then I would end up getting my work done later at night or I'd wake up early and I would just... I would get it done, but I would just craft my schedule the way that worked for me rather than a strict eight to five with the commutes during rush hour on the bookends. I could avoid that. That really worked for me. And and all this is now so possible because of technology. So I'm sure you do this as well. I'm, I'm in my meetings with, with my clients and, you know, you bring up Google Hangout or any of those other online video conferencing and I've got guys in, that are in that with me and one guy in Boston, one in Portland, one in San Diego, and I got another person in Chicago. And we're having a meeting online and we're using Google Docs, Google Sheets, Google Slides and shared documents. All of our other technology is in the cloud and we're able to really get things done. And the coolest thing is, is when you're teleconferencing like that, you're seeing people's home offices. You're seeing people um, in a relaxing environment. And it's just fun to see some of the personal effects of their home in the background. Sometimes you'll hear dogs barking in the background. Um, Other times you'll see some of my clients or even some of the vendors I work with, they won't be dressed as professionally as they are in an office. Like like one guy, I know the one guy we teleconference with that is in Boston, he's usually wearing either a Red Sox, Patriots, or Celtics gear of some kind, either in a shirt or a hat. But he's an incredibly professional guy, gets his work done, does a great job. And, and we just do it through teleconferencing. And it's awesome. And I'm sure you've been doing that as well. And you know people that can do that. And it's empowering. It's empowering for the employee. It's empowering for the employer. And from the employee's perspective, can you think about it? I mean, that's so much liberty, so much ability to manage your life and so much opportunity to pursue your own happiness in a model like that. So I I just think it's just beautiful. But the challenge, of course, is always the trust factor. The challenge always is, well, if I'm paying a guy and he's not there, how do I know he's really getting the work done? And to me, that's very old school mentality. That's um, very much, you know, the the people on the assembly line and kind of whipping them into shape. And I know that still exists. You hear the horror stories about Amazon. Um, But in, in many other types of careers, you don't really have to go there. There there are professional career opportunities where you can have a great degree of trust with your manager, with your boss. And if the boss is enlightened and understands as long as the stuff gets done, that's all that matters. You know, people think they're going to be home goofing off, but you know what? In In a corporate environment, in an office environment, people still goof off. How much time do you see people wasting, maybe you've done this, I know I have, where you're in a corporate environment and you're just chit-chatting with people, um, talking about lots of things that are not work-related. Or sometimes you see people surfing the internet in a corporate environment. That happens. People sometimes need to have those breaks because you can't be balls to the wall, 100% productivity for eight hours. It's hard to do that. Um, Now, granted, in some occupations, it's demanded. But in other occupations, it's not, especially if it's more of a cerebral kind of environment. Um, so if, if corporations, if managers are enlightened enough, they'll realize that they can still get 
these things done, but they could potentially get more done. They could potentially have greater productivity because the employee is now suddenly empowered. The employee feels respected. And the employee, because of that respect, that flexibility, that liberty that they're given by their employer, that employee now may very well you know, deliver even more productivity, deliver even greater results to their employer. It's a win-win outcome. So I, I just think this is great. And, you know, it's funny, too, because corporations, they'll often outsource things to third parties, to vendors. They'll give them tasks. And, and I'm on the receiving end of those a lot, where people will ask me to take on a certain project. And I may charge them hourly. I may charge them by the project. I may have different metrics to charge them. But the person isn't micromanaging my time. There's a great deal of respect because they already do that with their third-party providers. Why not just do the same thing with your employees? Why not? And, and you could actually get greater returns. So now, obviously, this doesn't work for everybody. You know, if you're in retail, if you're in restaurant, if you work for Amazon in a warehouse, it doesn't work in those occupations. But if we only, if our goal is to get 10% of the people off the roads, and that's going to make a great impact on traffic, well, if you're looking at these sort of, um, I guess, tech jobs, marketing jobs, finance jobs, real estate jobs, there's a lot of careers that mobility can play a really nice role. And this is the kind of thing that I think we should, our civic leaders should be talking about this kind of a cultural transformation to affect the way our society functions, to affect the way companies behave, to affect the way companies and their employees cooperate. And I'm not saying give edicts and set laws and rules, but I'm saying use the bully pulpit to be a thought leader and evangelizer to really take the bull by the horns and talk about this new model rather than saying we need to tax people more, we need to build more concrete freeways, we need to build more transit. I mean, that's 20th century thinking. We're in the 21st century. We need to evolve. We need to embrace technology and embrace it in a way that is consistent with the way humans want to live, want to work, and want to play. And so I would hope that in State of the City addresses from Mayor Kevin Faulkner and from Mayor Steve Voss in Poway, these are the kinds of messages we should be talking about, is how can we encourage more people to work not just from home, but to work from anywhere? And I think this is just such a wonderful concept. Um, so just putting forth ideas. Hope you like it. Hope you maybe agree with it. Maybe you don't. Let me know in social media. Let's continue the conversation. Um, if you've if you've made it this far in the podcast, first of all, thank you. Bravo to you. Um, I'll give you applause here. Um, thank you for sticking with me um, in these podcasts. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate those of you that are, are loyal listeners, loyal viewers, and many of you I interact with on social media. Thank you so much for that. I know this takes time out of your day. So hopefully you're listening while you're traveling, while you're driving, while you're commuting, maybe, um, you know, the irony of that. Um, but also maybe while you're out exercising, while you're walking the dog, while you're on a hike, I hopefully you can listen along. All these podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, 
Google Podcasts, um, Spotify. You can download them or you can just download the video off YouTube and listen or watch that at your leisure. Um, I know when I consume podcasts, I rarely will consume an entire hour at once unless I'm on a long drive. So I might take a chunk of it in the morning, a chunk of it in the afternoon, and maybe the third chunk of it the following day. Maybe you're going to be able to get that same level of enjoyment by following along here. So I know for many of my listeners, many of my viewers, this whole concept of podcasting to them is new. And they're just, uh, they're learning about it. They're figuring out how to integrate it in their lives. But I'll tell you, once you kind of figure it out, it's amazing. There is so much fantastic content that is out there in podcasts specific to issues that are really important to you. And this podcast What are we specific about? We talk about San Diego issues. We talk about issues in North County Inland. That's where I live. We talk about Poway, Rancho Bernardo, Rancho Penasquitos, Forest Ranch, Carmel Mountain Ranch, Sabre Springs. We're talking about the 15 Freeway. We're talking about things that impact our life in this community. We talk about housing. We talk about transportation. We talk about the Padres, the Aztecs. Um, we talk about a lot of fun things here in San Diego, but we'll also talk about national issues. And, and we've talked a lot about President Trump. There's that guy. I'll tell you, I'm not a fan of President Trump, but he is an endless supply of content. I mean, I literally can do a podcast on Trump every time I do one of these episodes. I mean, he has that much stuff to comment on. Um, I try not to do that. I don't want to get too tilted. Um, But we do talk about national issues, um, talk about self-improvement issues. So I encourage you to check all that out. And what, what can you do to help out? If you could share this with a friend, that'd make the biggest difference. That'd be really special. If you really want to go the extra mile, and if you think we deserve it, leave a review on iTunes. If you think we deserve it, leave five stars. That makes a big difference because the more people that uh, that see the podcast, that's recommended, that people are commenting on it, it gives it credibility and that helps us grow the audience. And that would be so helpful. And I would really appreciate that as well. And then you can always follow me on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. So reach out to me, either John Riley Project on Facebook or John Riley Poway on Instagram and Twitter. Okay, so I like to leave you with a closing quote, which I love doing. And I've been telling you, I've been binge watching Madam Secretary, which is, I'm really enjoying this. So I'm right now at the very end of season three. And I think there's five seasons on Netflix, is my understanding. And I was talking with someone that season six about to come out. There's like 23 episodes per season. This is like watching Star Trek where they had so many episodes per season. Um, It's great. I'm loving it. And Tia Leone is the Secretary of State. She plays Elizabeth McCord. That's her name on the show. And it's a neat show. They talk about politics, talk about family life. Um, I I just I enjoy it. And you'll see hints to things that are going on in the current in the current uh, news cycle, they'll talk about like they had an episode that I just watched recently and they were talking about the new, uh, I guess, elected president in the Philippines, this fictional, excuse me, fictional person. But basically he was the Filipino version of Donald Trump. And you couldn't help but notice that. So they do things like that as well. Well, anyways, um, Tia Leone's character is the secretary of state, Elizabeth McCord. and, And a lot of times, She'll be in difficult situations, as you can imagine, a secretary of state, these these tough choices. And 
one of the things, at least one of these quotes that she made, I thought was fabulous. She said, I've never met a situation where I don't have a choice in the matter. And I love that. And how often do you hear, and you hear this from President Trump a lot, we have no choice in the matter. We just have no choice. We have to do this. Well, you know, BS, you always have a choice. Now, that doesn't mean the options are good. That doesn't mean the choices are good. But you almost always have a choice. And I think that's really important to remember. And I think if you can open up your mind and open up your frame of thinking and realize that you have a lot of power. You don't necessarily have to choose what's behind door number one or door number two. You can find a door number three, or you can just choose to do nothing at all. There are lots of different choices that are available to people. And I think a lot of times they overlook that or they don't realize that certain options exist. They don't realize that they have the power to do certain things. They don't realize that they've been given the authority to do certain things. But if you have liberty, if you embrace the whole concept of choice, of freedom of choice, and that becomes your, your lens, your point of view, then you realize, just as Elizabeth McCord said, I've never met a situation where I don't have choice in the matter. So fantastic. Love that quote. Um, all right. So what time is it? It is... Oh my goodness, it's 11 o'clock. Um, I watched the Padre game and rolled here into the podcast studio recording this. This is probably roughly an hour long. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. This is the John Riley Project, episode 75. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back at you real soon. See you later, folks. Bye bye. <music>